Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? What's up, everybody? Today, we are talking about the Splatterhouse trilogy. Yes. And there's only three of them. Yes. Don't say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, we won't get into that. But it's part of uh, 16-bit month. Yeah. I kind of hesitated because the original one is technically 8-bit, isn't it? We're calling it 16-bit month. All right. Uh, it's, It's a very loose month because you'll see we'll talk about the other games at game club at the end of the episode but yeah Yeah. loosely 16-bit month (laughs) so we're doing 16-bit month uh we're looking at some 16-bit and 16-bit style games i think that's the Mm -hmm. umbrella under which all these games would fall right sure yeah um yeah i we thought this would be kind of fun and this is kind of a interesting corner of horror games in my opinion um you've got some different ideas and styles of games in here from just doing mainline horror stuff before we get too deep into it as always this episode is brought to you by you you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out more and sign up to help support the show uh and zero brightness is a game club if you listen until the end of the episode we tell you what you're gonna what we are going to play next if you want to play along with us at home Mm and slow down there getting a little bit ahead of myself uh yes oh, you're forgetting something what am i forgetting we have a second podcast oh yeah <laughs> it's called zero brightness plus uh it's exclusive to our patrons uh but there's no minimum so a dollar a month you get a weekly episode there too if you like us that yeah. much or more if you want more you can do more Yes, uh, we like more. <laughs> more is better. Until society collapses, we're going to need those capitalism points. Oh, yeah. And after that, we'll just be trading like chicken feathers and pieces of rubble and shit, so we'll be fine. <laughs> it's going to be uh, tobacco, bullets, and gasoline are going to be the, the main kind of currencies. Yeah, my, my three favorite things, so that's fine. <laughs> um, Go, probably like penicillin, too. Yeah, yeah, meds, just general meds. Let us know what you want the currency of the post-apocalypse to be. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, for patrons, you basically get episodes twice a week, and you can also message us about topics you want us to discuss, uh, things you want us to play, or things you want us to talk about in the plus episodes. They're usually loosely tied to the main episode, but we also sometimes just do something totally different because we feel like it or someone asks us to. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse. (laughs) Yeah. So, 1988. Just thinking about other games that came out in 1988 in the arcade kind of set Splatterhouse apart a lot, at least to me. Right. We walk in the arcade. We're going to see, like, games like Double Dragon 2, Ghouls and Ghosts, Chase HQ, you know, a ton of stuff like that, like Pac-Land, you know, Pac-Mania, uh-huh. Galaga 88. So, like, also Splatterhouse came out that year. <laughs> yeah. And just, it, it really is something completely different from everything else that was going on in the arcade at that time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, not only is it horror-themed, it's also pretty cinematic. 
Uh, the sprites are huge. The animations are gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, one of the early aesthetic experiences of arcade games. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I mean, if you look at those other games at the time, they're very gameplay focused and they're not very aesthetic focused. I mean, mm-hmm. when I think of that era, I think of like the big splashy designs on the cabinets because yeah, for a the lot of these, yeah, for a lot of those games, I mean, that was as much as you were going to get in terms of like a story or like an aesthetic was just kind of looking at the side of the cabinet and being like, Oh, that's what's going on. And then you start playing the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you brought that up because I think I've only seen Splatterhouse in a real arcade, maybe once or twice. And those were conversion cabinets. And so if you're an arcade owner in the eighties or nineties, you would either buy a dedicated cabinet or buy a conversion kit, which was basically like the motherboard and the marquee art in a box. Right. And then you would take one of your more unpopular games in your arcade, pull the motherboard from that, pop in the new game, change the marquee, and there you go. Right. And that's that's essentially... But yeah, I, I think I only played Splatterhouse in conversion cabs. I don't know if I've ever seen a dedicated Splatterhouse cab. Yeah, I've never even seen Splatterhouse in an arcade in my mm. life at all yeah uh, it's one it's one of the earliest games to really like push blood and gore um narc also came out that year right and so like Nar- narc and splatterhouse one were kind of like the two gory games right i think what's cool about splatterhouse though is that there's a lot of attention to detail in the visuals there's a lot of design going on so oh yeah it's not even just like gore like in like narc is just over the top gory where you're just like it's just like (laughs) you're like a a fucking SWAT team cop guy shooting a bunch of normal looking criminal minorities (laughs) yeah Yeah. they're quote-unquote criminals (laughs) uh and it's just bloody i think in this game it's very heavily stylized and so like you're seeing the types of enemies and the background the color palette everything it feels very forward thinking in that regard because that's what we expect from a game now like we turn it on there's an art style there's something that communicates to us what the experience is supposed to be like yeah i mean playing it in 2019 it's a good looking game but Thinking of it in the context of it coming out in 1988, I think really recontextualizes its look. It would be amazing to see this in an arcade, like at the time, you know, the graphics are crazy. The animations are really, really good. Yeah. Well, and once again, it's just, there's a whole style to it and it's even down to the way it feels to play it. Like your character is big and clunky. He lumbers. Um, his feet look like two big loaves of bread. Um, <laughs> like there's just the whole thing. And I think that's cool. Even aesthetically, like the way Rick, the main character plays, like he like beats the shit out of things and he'll like pick up a board and like splatter a guy's head across the screen or in the yeah. background or something, you know, it's just, it's just br- brutal in like so many different facets. Right. And I think what's important about that and about the game in general is that going back and playing it and playing this series, you can feel the influence that it had on survival horror. Like, you think so? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's the Western horror aesthetics, the sort of 80s horror movie influence and the ultra violence and then also just some of the tropes like the first time you pick up a shotgun you're like oh yeah shotgun that's such a trope in horror games yeah you know what i mean it's it's, yeah it's so evil dead (laughs) right but that's also like something that gets parroted in resident evil and then gets parroted in like everything else totally i mean and especially when we'll get to it when we talk about it but with splatterhouse 3 i think it's like holy shit there's so much influence on survival horror that it's hard not to go back to these games and see them as some kind of like proto survival horror there's something deeper than them just being a horror theme to beat them up mm. okay i yeah. think we'll get we'll get into that with three i think the most oh yeah for but, sure um so all right in terms of gameplay the first two games are basically like side-scrolling beat-em-ups less like final fight or streets of rage and more like something like Vigilante or Kung Fu Master. Um, you basically only walk to the right and things are going to rush at you and you punch them in the head. They usually only take a couple hits until they <laughs> liquefy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like a bunch of walking to the right. Uh, there's really no different changes in verticality. No. So really, if you need to jump, you're going to jump over like a pit or some spikes or something. Really memorization-based... Um, Because, you know, enemies come to you in waves. Some might jump at you, some might not. Some might come from the left. So it's really a game that, you know, it's like an old-school NES game. You, like, burn the patterns into your brain, and then you can play through the game, like, really fast. Yeah, and I think that's more in the second one than the first. Like, the first one has that, but it's a little bit more forgiving with the timing. Um, Mm. We'll get into it but yeah, yeah it's, it's <laughs> I know what you're saying yeah it's definitely very much an old school arcade game which was like mm-hmm. it's possible to beat it in one sitting at an arcade but they wanted you to have to feed it quarters and they wanted yeah. you to have to keep coming back to get good at it so it's, it's a lot of that yeah. it's like that toilet in look who's talking that wants all your poo poo <laughs> yeah. but it wants all your quarters yeah exactly but it's it's definitely not like the worst defender i mean you know it's i don't know the original splatterhouse for being what it is like it's not the worst defender it's not as bad as it could have been i guess (laughs) so um i dug up an interview with the developers from 1988 Mm -hmm. and it was it was a really cool read i guess we can like link it in the show notes but um you can tell they all had like a real good sense of humor with each other because they're cracking wise the whole time. Uh-huh. But uh, they said their their main goal was to make a serious horror game. Huh. And it was directly inspired by the 1976, I believe, Atari game, Death Race, where you basically like ran over stickmen with your little stick car. Uh-huh. <laughs> like real primitive game. Right. Uh, but it was cute because when you ran over the little stickmen, they would scream an Atari noise. Right. So that's cool. Um, they directly, you know, mentioned all the cinematic references in their game. You know, of course, Friday the 13th with the hockey mask. Evil Dead with the spooky woods and shack. All that stuff. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Cronenberg's The Fly. And, uh, of course, Poltergeist. They kind of had to fight to get the game made. And they were kind of told what not to do a lot 
from the higher ups at Namco, hmm. just because the game was so bloody and violent. Right. Well, and it's it's interesting to bring up um, Death Race, the game, and the sort of lineage of like gory, violent, eight bit and pre eight bit video games, mm. because Splatterhouse, I think, sort of gets lumped in with those a little bit because i mean there is some controversy around it as you have in the notes it was like one of the first games to get a parental advisory um which was specifically maybe inappropriate for young children and cowards cowards (laughs) yeah that was on the turbo graphics box in like a blood drip yeah so funny but what's cool about this game is that it does have the gore and I guess some of the shock value but it doesn't have the tasteless the like childish tastelessness of those games mm. I'm specifically thinking of I mean Death Race is a good example but there's an even better example called Chiller are you familiar with this game? yeah yeah, yeah Chiller's super tasteless <laughs> so yeah Chiller was like an arcade game that became notorious because it's literally just like a side-scrolling shooter game and you just like kill people who are like chained to walls and shit and it's like super gross and like even now it's like kind of upsetting because it's like (laughs) why would you make this and like there's actually an interesting interview with the guy it's like one guy who coded it and he was just like oh i don't know we we just like tried to make the grossest weirdest thing because we were like basically trying to get fired or whatever it was kind of like a (laughs) kind of like a the producers type scenario um wow and it, it but so like I don't know. Or, of course, there's, like, even more notorious because it's also racist. There's, like, Custer's Revenge, you know? And, like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's this whole lineage of these, like, tasteless, quote-unquote, like, shocking or, like, attempting to be provocative type games. And Splatterhouse has, you could see it as, like, a cousin to those games, but it's not tasteless. And, like, Mm. it's not, like, offensive. It's just, like, a monster man killing a bunch of other monsters, which is just fun. Like, Yeah. So, one of the things they had to change during development was um, the higher-ups were complaining that the zombies were human-looking. So, the the higher-ups actually pushed them to make them look more like monsters. Yeah. Well, and I actually think that was a good change. I mean, it does make the game more fun and like light feeling well and they didn't have to tone down their brutality like right you're still slamming the guys with baseball bats and making them explode into like rivers of gore right well and i guess what i'm trying to say is that i think that there might be a perception of this of the original splatterhouse as kind of like an ugly brutal like violent game kind of in the tradition of those other games and i would Mm. say it's not i think it's much more of just like Sort of like a fun beat em up if you like horror stuff. It was just, in, I mean, I was talking with someone, as I frequently end up in these conversations, I was at, like at a show the other day and we were talking about, like, they're like, oh, I don't really watch horror movies and I don't really like gore. And then we were kind of talking about, like, what that means and how to negotiate that. Cause I was like, well, you should still watch The Witch, for example, you know? Mm. Like, that's just a movie that everyone can appreciate. But I do feel like with this game, you know, maybe if, if someone isn't super into horror stuff, but they like, you know, old beat-em-ups, like, I think this game is more in that vein, you know? It's not sure. as, like, shocking. I don't like that stuff either. Like, these sort of, like, wannabe, provocative, like, older games. They're just sad and embarrassing. Oh, like, kind of. Postal? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're mostly just sad and embarrassing. Whereas, like... yeah. 
Oh, cool. Mm, cool. <laughs> Neat. You know, like, wow. I'm so shocked. You killed an innocent. Ooh. You know. I, w- I will defend lemmings, though. <laughs> well, I don't think lemmings is in that realm. Wait, you never hit the nuke button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think going back and playing this game, it was it's a lot more artful. And I don't know. It, it's just a lot cooler than that sort of lineage would suggest. But, you know, you yeah. can tell that that was a bit of an influence on them. All right. So I guess uh, let's dig into a part one a little. Splatterhouse 1, the arcade one. Oh, well, I guess, you know, Splatterhouse 1 came out in the arcade. Uh, it later got a port to the TurboGrafx-16. Right. Um, all three of you guys that had a turbo graphics yeah <laughs> um it was heavily modified like they made rick look less like jason Voorhees. he had a red mask instead of a uh, white hockey mask they took out all the religious iconography um and yeah like a lot of the animation got ripped out kind of looks like shit definitely play the arcade version yeah uh, you're not missing anything skipping the turbo version. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you're probably going to emulate this either way. So just let's be real. Yeah. Get the name <laughs> emulator. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing too, is that so like we talked about, I never found the original in an arcade and mm-hmm. I actually didn't have like carts of two or three either. So two or three are on the Sega Genesis. So yeah. I actually didn't play these when I was a kid. Like I was aware of their uh, aware of their existence, but it wasn't until I was in middle school and I got really into emulating stuff, like middle school, high school, um, mm-hmm. that I played all these games. And mostly, I, well, I said this before we started, but like mostly Splatterhouse Three is like my jam. But mm. so, like. I, my experience with these games was more as like going and sort of unearthing them and playing them with an emulator. And I think they're very enjoyable in that regard. Because it's like, yeah, the best version of the original game is in an arcade, so you need to have an emulator for it. Unless you're one of those weirdos that collects arcade motherboards. Yeah. <laughs> which, like, I could totally get down with. Yeah. <laughs> like, one day. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, like I, I kind of like thinking of these games as like emulator classics, you know, totally. I mean, I, even now it's like, so right before we started, we were looking at the availability of these games. Um, all three of them are included with the 2010 Splatterhouse reimagining. Uh, oh yeah. That game that doesn't exist. Yeah. That one. Um, so they're like a bonus in that game. It has all three original games, which is actually pretty cool. Um, but, you could probably pick it up for 30 cents. Yeah, exactly. On the PS3 or 360. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't pay more than 60 cents for that. <laughs> That's top dollar. Um, but the original arcade Splatterhouse is included in a Namco Museum bundle that's on current gen consoles, and specifically it's on the Switch. So if you want to play this game on the Switch, that would be pretty fun. Don't stick any quarters in your Switch. Yeah. <laughs> Learn from my mistake. Yeah. I mean, so this game is really hard, so it's definitely better if you can do save states, but even just having unlimited continues, you can probably muscle your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, okay. Rick, who is a, uh, basically looks like Joe Rogan in a Jason Voorhees mask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Well, before he meets the mask, Rick and his girlfriend Jennifer uh, are hanging out in the woods. You know, like what like normal white kids do. Sure. Uh, when it starts raining and they come across a uh, big mansion and they run to the house for shelter, you hear a scream and Rick falls unconscious. Jennifer is taken. And when you put the quarter in, Rick meets the mask. The mask is floating above his head and sticks to his face. And then the game starts. Yeah. And that's all the story you get for Splatterhouse 1. Well, it's kind of cool. It's like an interesting concept. I mean, these games, until the third one, even the third one, they don't have a ton of story. But mm. it's basically like you're in an evil mansion, but you're also fused with like an evil entity. At first, it looks a lot like a Jason mask. But then as the series goes on, it kind of turns into like a skull face and even in the first game it's kind of like a skull face you know they got cease and desisted or some shit oh yeah totally <laughs> you're supposed to be jason Voorhees, but you're rick yeah <laughs> yeah you're and you're a good guy this time so yeah i mean it's gameplay wise it's a pretty standard beat-em-up you walk to the right and punch everything that comes across your path um these games are very very horizontal there's like no verticality at all you have mm-hmm. to jump over pits and traps, but it's very minimal. It's mostly like a timing thing, you know? Yeah, basically. And the one, I think I would say the big twist besides the visuals and the design of the enemies, which are, they're all like spooky monsters and there's really cool bosses, of course, which we'll get to. The bosses are sick. Yeah. But beyond that, the big like twist to the formula is that there are weapons yeah. and basically you always want to have a weapon you don't always get one but you like always want one because it makes you like so much more powerful so like the whole game sort of becomes about you know trying to get a weapon and hang on to it as long as you can you know one of one of the first parts of the game is you know you're you're in this dungeon basement and there's like you know like corpses and stuff everywhere it's like super gross and grody and you just pick up uh, two by four off the floor, which is probably a WWF reference for anybody that grew up in the eighties. And you just start like slamming monsters upside the head and like their guts fly out and spray the wall behind you. Uh-huh. And you're like, holy fuck. I never want to get rid of this two by four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, it's very basic. Bad guys are going to run at you from the right and left and you just got to keep the patterns up, you know, like visual recognition yeah smash them in the brain duck sometimes jump sometimes keep walking to the right forever until you get to a big spooky boss right i think though what separates this game from a standard beat-em-up um because i do i really like especially the capcom beat-em-ups from like a few years after this oh totally the, yeah. t- the tech aspect of it gets really crazy and the games just look really gorgeous and are really like overstimulating i think that in that era it became much more about having like quick and agile characters you know and like fast action this game is not like that it's super slow and heavy like yep there's no combos yeah exactly like you just hit things and they die you yeah don't even really jump you kind of like do a little hop because your dude's just too fucking heavy you know when I think beat em up, I think a game like Final Fight, where you can move not just left and right, but towards and away from the camera. Right. Uh, this is more. I don't know. It's it's a. I would call it a side scrolling punch. It's a punch em up. Yeah, totally. It's not really. Uh, yeah, I can't really call it a beat em up. 
because yeah there's no combos um there's there's a lot missing from the beat 'em up formula here you know yeah. and also namco didn't really make beat 'em ups yeah they made like this and bravo man which is kind of a similar thing and uh I, yeah, well, I mean, Splatterhouse 3 was probably the closest they ever did to a traditional beat-em-up. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, the reason it worked, like, it sounds really simplistic. And the stages are really short, too, which is, like, I think part of the reason why the difficulty is so high is because, like, if, once mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, you can fly through this game. But what makes it work is just how satisfying it is because the heaviness makes everything just really, really viscerally satisfying. So, like, when you whap a guy with a 2 by 4 it's like, yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, the sprites are huge. So the animation's great. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, a, it's a classic, like, arcade. Or even, like, the TurboGrafx-16 is totally the natural home for this game, which is kind of a bummer that the port sucks a little bit. But because, mm-hmm. like, the TurboGrafx-16, to me, the notable thing about it was just like a real arcade machine. It could render these huge-ass sprites that were just big and heavy and, like, had a real physicality to them, you know? And yeah. this game nails that 100%. So, I mean, the negatives. His hitbox is huge, and it's kind of janky. Sometimes when, like, landing on the edges of things, you're never know, you're not sure if you're going to get hit or not, especially with spikes, stuff like that. Um, it's just really short. There's seven stages. So once you're good at it, you can just, like, totally kill it in an hour. Yeah. Um. There is a leg sweep, kind of like a like a Mega Man dash attack, um, but it's really hard to pull off, and it's janky as hell. Yeah, I didn't understand this either. Like, I read how to do it, and then I was trying to... They kind of described it as like a Street Fighter sort of quarter turn thing, and then mm, I no. was trying... It, <laughs> that was not accurate. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny though. Cause when you watch like people playing the game who are really good at it, they're doing that constantly. Yeah. Cause they want to get through the stage faster and it's faster than walking. Yeah. And you, yeah. it's a really good attack. Cause like yeah. there's a lot of enemies attack either mid or high. And so if you can slide in underneath their attack, you can just be like, yeah, slide kicking dudes straight to hell all day. <laughs> yeah. As you have noted here overall, this game is very hard and it's, it's kind of cheap. Um, yeah. like there's a lot of cheap deaths there's a lot of like once again stuff that you have to memorize so like guys will come off come from off screen in a weird way that you wouldn't predict the bosses will have invulnerability windows which makes it really cheap because they're so huge it's hard to get away from them yeah totally yeah. i mean i think that this game is f- it's fun going back now if you're not like a huge arcade enthusiast which will, once again i'm also kind of assuming the average listener is like me like i'm not a huge arcade old arcade oh, game really? enthusiast. no dude i love arcade shit i've got two arcade machines yeah like i grew up playing these games i like these games but yeah. i don't really want to go back and play them because i don't like playing <laughs> these like super hard like super cheap games so I'm going to assume that a lot of people are probably more in my boat. I think it's become more and more of a niche thing over time, hmm. you know? Um, but I would say that this game is really fun to sample. Like it's really fun to kind of jump in and play a bit of it and like try and have some fun with it, you know, see what you can make happen. I think playing all the way through, it's a bit of a chore. I found it to be a chore mm. personally. See, I'm a big fan of, uh, 
arcade games, like vertical shooters and things that I could like practice and get good at. And I, my thing with arcade games is like, how far can I get on one credit? Right. You know, and I can get to stage three in Splatterhouse on one credit. And then after that, it's just like start throwing quarters in constantly. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, I obviously like, okay, we've talked about a lot about how much we love treasure and like treasure games, the developer and mm-hmm. not the general concept and idea of treasure. <laughs> the, the video game developer. <laughs> Ollie is sitting on a pile of gold right now. <laughs> so everybody knows how much I love treasure. Tesoro, if you will. Uh, but like, I, I love treasure games um, because they sort of took this style of game and they evolved it in a basic sense, but they also evolved it for like home console play. Yeah. You know? Cause like, I love going to a real arcade because you get to go in and especially nowadays, like we have a, we have a barcade here that like, it's super cheap to play. So like you can go and just try everything and it's super cheap and like, it's fun to jump in and like play a game like this a little bit. Like if they had a splatterhouse mm-hmm. machine, I would be super happy to jump in and yeah, I'd probably get up to stage two or three and then would be like, okay, I'm good. You know? Yep. But I do think it's worth doing that even for modern players with this game, just because it's fun it's satisfying. It looks really cool. And once again, I think this series had a big influence on survival horror. I think with this one, it, it feels good to play. So it's worth playing, but it's still really hard. It's really cheap and it's really based on just memorizing levels. Totally. Yeah. 1988 as fuck. Yeah. I just think it's important to like acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. You know? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we don't have to go through all the stages, but, um, I do want to talk about some of the bosses because yeah. they're like sick and disgusting. So right. like, I mean, at the beginning of the game, you like wake up in this like fucked up like dungeon basement and you end up in like this meat room with like just like corpses and piles in the corners and stuff. Yeah. And then like the bodies start bursting open and like le- these giant leeches start attacking you. So and nasty. like the leeches are the first boss and it's really cool. Um, the second stage boss is like basically just like a regular room with a bunch of items that start attacking you. It's like a poltergeist. Um, so that's just like, I don't know. It's really cool. Like the picture comes off the wall and starts like flying at you and shit. Yeah. There's like scissors and stuff. Like it's awesome. Uh, there's this dude in the woods. Yeah. He's probably like the most iconic bad guy. Uh, this dude in the woods, he has like a sack over his head and he has chainsaws for arms. Yeah, dude. Resident <laughs> Evil 4 is fuck. It, yeah, I was thinking like RE4 totally stole that. Yeah. Well, and even just, okay, so these bosses are awesome, but to talk about the stages for a second, just the overall look of them is really cool. Like it's dark yeah. and it's dank and disgusting, but it's also comic booky and colorful. So like there's still splashes of color. There's still visually interesting things going on. And once again, I think even that is something that's super influential upon the rest of survival horror, because like it was trying to figure out how to take these sort of like dark Gothic or just like, you know, very horrific environments, maybe something you'd see in an 80s slasher movie and make them colorful and make them visually interesting. And I think this game does that. All these games do that really well. Like, you can be stuck in like something that kind of looks like a cabin or a basement or something, but it's very like visually interesting. Totally. And that's something yeah. that like resident evil pulled off really well with like the Spencer, uh, Spencer mansion. Like, and I think that 
that kind of owes a debt to this game in my opinion you know? oh yeah for sure the coolest scene in this game it, uh, you finally catch up with your girlfriend jennifer and she's like unconscious on a couch like surrounded by the monsters they see you and they run off and uh she stands up and morphs into this like uh monster but the animation of her morphing is like the sickest animation it's awesome and it's a it's a really awesome boss fight because she'll after you fight the boss for a while she'll like turn back into a human and then back into the back into the demon yeah and you finally kill her and like this is the game where you can't save the girl she like dies as part of the story yeah which is crazy and yeah in that interview you were quoting earlier they said that that was kind of what they wanted to do which is another you know very forward-thinking uh idea in terms of horror games and we've talked about a lot on this show talking about horror games as anti-games as like disempowerment fantasies like i think the idea of horror games just as alternative games in general that don't give you the conclusion you're expecting and that don't do the things you expect them to do and that's something they keep doing throughout the series i think is really impressive is with the little bits of narrative and story that there are they're always subverting your expectations imagine mario walking into the castle and and toad being like sorry mario you were just a little too late (laughs) princess peach is fucking dead and then like her corpse is just like there on the floor (laughs) (laughs) that's splatterhouse (laughs) (laughs) like toad's just like sobbing yeah (laughs) jesus christ Nintendo, if you if you need a, a writer for Mario 12 or whatever, I've got him right here. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> no, it's just you. You got this, man. <sighs> but yeah, the original Splatterhouse, it's great. The arcade version is a treat. It looks awesome. Um, it's what you'd expect from an old arcade game, but it has some cool twists. It's very horrifying. And yeah, I mean, I, I would say I would kind of give it the same recommendation that I would uh, to Clock Tower where it's like you have to be ready for it to be a bit slow and frustrating but if you're interested in you know this prehistory of survival horror type games it's a very important Mm. game and it still holds up as something that's like enjoyable to play and it's fun yeah On, on a basic level it's fun maybe powering through the whole game won't be super fun for you but it's it's worth playing and getting that perspective on survival horror games if you see this at the arcade and you don't put 50 to 75 cents into it we can't be friends <laughs> okay so 20 the 2010 splatterhouse is worth 30 to 60 cents yeah. uh, original splatterhouse in the arcade is worth 50 to 75 cents totally yeah for the experience you're you're standing at the machine you know in front of a cathode ray tube yeah getting the the ions pumped into your eye sockets yeah yeah totally well, dude. I- i'm just keeping track this is the less than a dollar episode of <laughs> zero brightness so we're trying to tell you all the fun you can have for less than a dollar boom yeah so yeah. just keeping track we'll check in later <laughs> so splatterhouse 2 Splatterhouse 2 <laughs> it it was part of a short run of games that Namco made for the Genesis that were sequels to arcade games, but they didn't get arcade releases. Um, 
just like Rolling Thunder 2 and 3, where Rolling Thunder was an arcade exclusive and 2 and 3 only came to the Genesis. Yeah. Splatterhouse 2 only came to the Genesis. Right. And just like those games, it's so much like the arcade counterpart, but with added cinematics and little cutscenes here and there. Yeah. Just to give it a little more longevity. Right. It feels a lot like an expansion pack slash port. Yeah, it's it's like Splatterhouse 1.5. Yeah, like the original game could have had all these levels, but sure. it didn't, and so now they're in this other game. Like it's just like a port. <laughs> it's like a port of extra levels. That's that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Graphics are very similar. Um, the color is a bit more stark, I think. Like higher contrast. It's probably because of the Genesis's color palette limitation, but um, it doesn't look bad. It probably looks more comic booky than the first. Yeah, it doesn't have the slick look of the original game. The original game has these really nice, like soft colors and really mm-hmm. smooth animation. Um, this kind of has the same look. Like it's not a bad looking game, but it has the same look. But yeah, the colors are not as soft and pleasing to the eye and the animation just isn't as good and that's clearly like hardware limitation while doing my research i found that game pro gave this game a perfect five out of five score (laughs) which i found fucking hilarious yeah totally well (laughs) all right and so let me just spout off for a second here because i really don't like this game (laughs) in and i know you do like it so i'll try so i like it probably because I grew up with it, and yeah. I have it on cart, and I played the balls out of it. So, yeah, and I mean, I get that, but in my opinion, this game is just a classic bad arcade port. Like, mm. there, this was pretty common at the time that you know a game would get a port to home consoles, and if it wasn't the Turbo Graphics sixteen, which was essentially an arcade machine in a home console box. Um, it had a hard time handling the game. So if the game wasn't rebuilt from the ground up like Atomic Runner for the Sega Genesis, which is not only an amazing game, but actually better than the arcade version. Totally. Yeah, but they rebuilt that game from the ground up. They were like, okay, we're going to make a Sega Genesis version. We're going to design it for this console, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so just for a little background, because some of our listeners may be younger than us, one of the biggest selling points of the Genesis and Turbo Graphics was that, like, you can finally like play these arcade games at home, right? Uh, because you know back then the arcade games were like incredibly more advanced than the NES port, and you know that didn't change until gosh the two thousands. So. Yeah, for sure. I think I remember personally like the Dreamcast being the first system where you had a simultaneous arcade and home console release that looked the same. Yeah. And so even like, okay, that arcade by where I live that I like to go to has hydro thunder. And yeah. like, that was a great example. Like when I go play it now, I'm like, man, this looks like a dreamcast game, you totally. know, cause that generation was that Naomi, I think was the name of the board. Like they had basically the same specs as a dreamcast and that, but before that the home console ports were always compromised basically yeah Yeah. so like another example of that's like to the opposite point was i remember like uh san francisco rush uh the racing game like i remember playing that in the arcade and be like this rules and then like 
I got the N64 version and I was like, man, this looks like crap. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Because, like, the totally. arcade version was so cool. And it, it's kind of funny because the Turbo Graphics was actually really good at emulating arcade games. Like, the Turbo Graphics was a super advanced console for its time, which is why nobody had one because it was really expensive. But the Genesis was, like, not so good. Well, it came packed with Altered Beast, which is a pretty gimped arcade port. Right. But then things like Golden Axe, Golden Axe 2 started coming out, which were pretty on par. You know, it, 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 they weren't arcade games, but they gave the arcade experience at home. And right. that was like really solidified with stuff like Streets of Rage 2. Yeah, totally. But I think, well, I guess what I'm getting at is that like the good arcade ports to Genesis were like redesigned from the ground up and are very different. So like Golden yeah. Axe 2 is like one of my favorite games of all time. I've played it like so, so, so much. And it was funny because at the time, I mean, I'd only played the original Golden Axe a little bit in the arcade, but we would just play Golden Axe 2 like mad. And then way later, like when I was in high school, I like played an like emulated arcade version of the original Golden Axe. I was like, whoa, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, that game is gorgeous and it's got all this like crazy gameplay stuff going on. It's like, oh, whoa. Like, that was not really like a great arcade translation. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Well, speaking of Golden Axe. One of like the most criminal games that was never ported to the console was the Revenge of Death Adder. Did you ever play that? Oh yeah, it was like the latest, the the later Golden Axe game. That game was so sick. Yeah, that game is amazing. Yeah, you got to play that if you see that other kid for sure. Well, and you know, I think this is new. I only heard about it the other day. Maybe it's not new at all. But there's like a Capcom beat 'em up package that just came out for mm. the Switch that has at least a few like obscure Capcom arcade games that never got home console releases. And yeah, if you like that type of game, like there's so many crazy ones you can either emulate or get as part of these packages. Like there's a crazy Dungeons and Dragons um, beat em up game. That's amazing. There's two of them. Yeah. yeah there's like a okay. crazy dinosaur themed one. That's awesome. This episode of Zero Brightness Plus on the Patreon is going to be all about... <laughs> greatest beat-em-ups of all time <laughs> yeah no i mean there, well there's like so many great ones and i think the yeah. obscure ones are actually more fun because like they're really ridiculous like they'll have weird upgrade systems weird mechanics and then visually they're just hilarious and ridiculous you ever um, play battle mania yeah <laughs> one of the last capcom ones so good you yeah be an ostrich yeah exactly and like like that game the character designs almost look like they're Darkstalkers characters on fucking crack yeah. and like yeah there's just so many cool beat-em-up games uh that just never got home console releases but anyway we'll continue that conversation on the patreon yeah that was a little preview of <laughs> zb plus uh so anyway when i look at splatterhouse 2 the reason i say it's a classic bad arcade port is because there's a mm. couple of like telltale signs so number one is that they basically kept the look of the game the same but they didn't scale it down or make it you know more suitable for the genesis so this game rick's too big rick is too big like all the sprites (laughs) but so are the enemies like all the sprites are too big for the frame and the problem with that it's not just visual it's that timing jumps and getting enemies in range and avoiding their hits is like fucking impossible it takes a lot of precision 
it's ridiculous. And that's like we were saying earlier, like the first game, it's a lot about memorization, but it's more forgiving because it's intuitive and the game feels good to play. And you keep popping quarters in. Yeah. In this one, it's literally like everything is so big and clunky that it's about memorization because you have to know the exact pixel where you jump in order to make the jump over the pit or in order to like dodge the enemy hits. Also, the main enemy that you fight in this game are these weird skeletal zombie looking things who have insane range. They have like eight foot long arms and they also do this horrible uh, crow scream kung fu noise every time they punch Mm -hmm. or jump and it's like ear bleeding. (laughs) Like, get ready to hear that in your nightmares, dude. Yeah. But yeah, it's just the size and the feel of everything. It made it feel really off to me. I never got in the groove of this game. I never felt good playing it. It was super unfun to me. Rick slides around a little. So like when you're walking, you stop, he like slides a little. And so sometimes when you're just like tapping a little to get in place, he's like sliding all over the place and it's it's a mess. Yeah, it just and we've talked about this in like every side scrolling game that we've covered for the show. I think with side scrolling games for me, there's an immediate thing where you pick up and play it and it either feels good or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And to me, in my opinion, once again, I'm not the arbiter of everything, but in my opinion, like I didn't feel that with this game. I picked it up and I was just like, Ugh, yuck. And like yeah. that is kind of a kiss of death. I mean, there are other things you could use to mitigate it, but not in this game. It's the same as Splatterhouse, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Use those save states because you'll run out of continues very fast. Yeah, that's okay. So that's another thing too, is that I, and and we'll get to it with part three, but a a reason I really like part three is that it feels like they redesigned the game to be a home console release and they messed with how continues work and et cetera, et cetera. This is like another bad arcade port thing that if you were, if you lived through the 16 bit era, you got really fucking sick of was games basically keeping the continue based system, but limiting your continues. So instead of Mm -hmm. being limited by how many quarters you have, you were limited by like an arbitrary number. Free continues. Yeah. Yeah, Set by the game or by your performance where like, like, I don't think you can get extra continues in this game. Can you? Uh, You could probably get extra lives with score but probably not continues yeah so it was just like it's it just felt so cheap and shitty and there's a password system which is cool and obviously if you're emulating it you can use save states but just playing it vanilla is very like unfair and unfun yeah i don't know well they really wanted you to get your 50 1991 dollars out of it yeah it's like the classic thing where Uh, you know everyone developing arcade type games at this time was like it can't be beaten in a single rental we have to make sure that people have to rent it more than once which led to a lot of egregious shit now there's nothing (laughs) like the fucking monkey puzzle in the lion king for the sega genesis (laughs) which they actually got the designer of that puzzle to say in an interview to basically admit that like oh yeah like we made this so hard that we couldn't even figure it out just so people wouldn't beat it in a single rental wow and it's in level two or three of the game yeah so you get like game is trash well (laughs) i mean when i was a kid we really liked those disney sega genesis games but like we were like pathologically banging our head against the wall to like 
figure out these games. But with The Lion King, it's like the first level is really fun. Like it's got this beautiful animation and you yeah. just kind of run around like roaring at stuff and it's really chill. And then like two and three, levels two and three have these horrible unsolvable puzzles. But then after that, the game goes back to being kind of fun. That's just like, what was the design choice here? Who did this? I heard they sort of enhanced the ports of those for the new collection on yeah. Switch. So I think they fixed some of those things, and they fixed the camera. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't played them, but... Yeah, I'm not. It's gonna. cool to see, like, a re-release, like, actually fixing shit in an old game. Yeah, I agree. That's cool. Yeah. It is what it is, but... <laughs> anyway, I think this game has all of those problems, like, really hardcore. Which sucks, because it has cool levels and cool bosses and stuff, but it's like... Why, dude? Yeah. So yeah, okay. So Rick's girlfriend died. He's got PTSD, right? Uh, he starts having visions of this mask, um, and the the mask tells him to like go back to the house. So yeah. that's all of the story part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you actually get your dead girlfriend back. I guess you punch something in the face so hard that you bring the dead back to life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and basically, you know, the last level is you just, like, escaping with your girlfriend, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Or the last couple levels, actually. Yeah. yeah um, you know, a lot of the same stuff from the first game. It really feels like a port. There's, you know, the mansion. There's woods, spooky woods. There's a spooky swamp. And, uh, yeah. The bosses are super sick. Um, one of my favorite bosses is, like, you go to this like tool shed and these like baby fetuses that are with nooses around their necks start like dropping down from the ceiling and you have to chop them up with a chainsaw. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Pretty fucked. Yeah. Uh, there's one where like there's like bad guys in a room and you walk in and the bad guys are like, oh shit. So they like run off screen and get like killed by the boss and then the boss comes out. It's like this big fat guy and you like you pop his stomach open by punching it. It's like that scene from story of Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like there's some really cool, uh, bosses as is tradition, you know, there's some real bullshit too. Um, oh, yeah. the second level boss, it's like a big, like ghostly Freddy Krueger face. Yeah. It, it shoots these like, projectile balls at you in like different patterns so you have to kind of like Simon says like punch left punch right duck and punch to like get them all without getting hit and then uh, the second to last boss does the same shit with like these crystals flying at you and you just have to memorize all the patterns there's no way you would get through it with just raw skill no this game is borderline impossible in my opinion I mean almost right from the start cause like the Freddy Krueger face thing is annoying, and that's super when, annoying. That's when it's like, okay, this game is annoying. But then the the level right after that, you have to jump over these pits, and the jumping is like pixel perfect, because your jump is so fucking shitty. Your jump is so horrible in this game. Yeah. It is unbelievable how bad it is. So like, any time that there's pits for me, this was like, oh great, this level is actually impossible. Like, 
I'll just try the next one because I'm, I'm just not going to do this. Like, this is not going to happen for me. There's these spooky ghost woods and the ghosts can, like, possess you and your controls go in reverse and it's like, touch fuzzy, get dizzy from Yoshi's Island. Yeah, or the <laughs> things in, uh, there's a status ailment in Earthbound that reverses your controls. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, just play it. It's not as good as the first one. I don't hate it as much as Ollie. I mean... <sighs> Maybe you can jump over those puddles better than he did. I just think it's skippable. I think the original does everything it does but better. And I think it does everything the first one does but worse. <laughs> like, if you love the first one, you're going to like the second one. If you didn't like the first one, you just skip it. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. But, I mean, I like the first one. It just, like, I didn't like devote my whole life to it so when i started playing the second one i was like well <laughs> fuck this like this isn't fun you know well, and that's the thing is i think that the first one for as difficult as it is and as cheap as it is sometimes like we we're saying if you use save states you can get through it it's not like that level of difficulty i think this game the cheapness went up a lot like the the difficulty in the platforming the difficulty in trying to get within range of an enemy mm, like yeah that stuff made it so that even if you were using save states and trying to like cheese your way through the game like it's still to me feels completely impossible like or not impossible it's just not worth learning how to do it no fucking no the the second to last level is nearly fucking impossible and then the last level, you're, like, escaping on a boat. Um, you're, like, escaping and, like, Cthulhu shows up. And you have to, like, he's, like, throwing these darts at you. And you have to punch them out of the air and throw them back. But only while his eye is open. Sure. Fucking impossible, dude. It's so yeah. hard. Well, and it's, like, that thing of, like, all of this sounds bad. But then given how clunky the game is and how bad it felt to me to play i just i wasn't motivated to like figure any of this out yeah so that's what i mean i mean i don't i'm not like this is the worst game ever ball it's just like i think it's skippable i think yeah like you said it's like it's like mario the lost levels it's like if you loved mario one and you got so good mm. at that game that you were like just a freak of nature and you wanted like a harder, <laughs> less forgiving version of that that had more content. Yeah, Splatterhouse 2, play it. But I think for most people, I, I'd say skip it. Play the original. The original is awesome. And this one, unless you're like, I want Mario the Lost Levels of Splatterhouse, skip it. <laughs> if that sounds good to you, I mean, yeah, fucking do it, dude. Play this game. It's better than Altered Beast. I, I like Altered Beast better. I'm not rocking with that. Oh my god. I okay. You have to go back and play Altered Beast because that game is sh- fucking garbage. I have gone back and played Altered Beast. God I like Altered Beast. <laughs> I think, man. Nah, I don't know. Maybe I'd just racist against Altered Beast. Yeah, that's hot. That's a hot, hot take, dude. That Altered was the Beast first Genesis game I ever had. Like, I played Altered Beast a lot. I would rather play Splatterhouse two than Altered Beast. Ah, uh, no, I'm not rocking with that. <laughs> I'm not at all. <laughs>
No way. All right. All right. So, um, part, part three. three. Now yeah. I'm going to turn into the one who is like trying to defend it because fuck, I love this game. I love Splatterhouse 3 so much. I mean, it's got a lot going for it, but it, it does make some big missteps. And we'll get into that, I guess. But, you know, j- story, okay. At Splatterhouse 2, you save your girlfriend from death, somehow. And you buy a nice big house. For some reason, he buys the spookiest house in the world. Yeah. He has a child, and they all live together happily ever after. Uh, in this big scary house right <laughs> and then uh, I don't know for some reason shit hits the fan again basically the premise of this game is that the mask comes back and a bunch of like chaotic evil starts happening so the game has a bunch of crazy cutscenes in it which is nuts this is like a Sega Genesis game with these like really gorgeous cutscenes they look- yeah, they use a lot of pre-rendered stuff, like Donkey Kong Country, uh-huh. and then it uses a lot of live-action still shots. Yeah, like digitized photos. Yeah. And there's some yeah. light animation to them, too, that looks, like, really, really good. Yeah. Um, and it looks really creepy, so you're usually either seeing, like, a picture of a member of your family or a picture of the mask. The mask is super scary-looking in this game, mm-hmm. um, and it's really awesome. So... Basically, the game is almost like narrated by a conversation between Rick and the mask. And the mask mm. is kind of telling you what to do. And essentially, you're in your big spooky mansion that has like six floors <laughs> for some reason. And each floor, there's like a timed challenge. So it's yeah. like the first floor, for example, is you need to save Jennifer, your wife, from a monster. And then, like, the third floor is a time challenge to save your son and, like, so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. And so it's the game is, like, super cinematic because basically each floor is a bunch of rooms. So you go into a room, you fight a bunch of bad guys. After you clear it, the timer stops. And I think the timer stops. No, the timer does not stop. Oh, okay. The timer never stops. Uh, (laughs) But you can pull open the map once all the bad guys are gone and then that'll stop the timer and then you that's what it is you can choose which room you want to go into next yeah so each floor is a bunch of rooms and you're meant to look on the map find the route that you want to take you're trying to get like the quickest most optimal route Mm -hmm. through each floor and then just go through and clear each room of enemies and there's like a boss at the end now while you're doing this you're getting these little cutscenes, So maybe every other room, a thing will pop up. That's like the monster is getting closer to Jennifer or like, yeah, this sort of thing is happening. And those cutscenes always look awesome and are mm-hmm. super cool. Like I love them. The little bits of animation and panning look awesome. The font is great. <laughs> it's like such a good font. <laughs> uh, it's, I love that shit. And I don't know. So my big take on this game is that just like the first game is clearly calling forward to future survival horror games. This game to me feels like clock tower where they basically just made a survival horror game, but it just feels a lot different because of the limitations of like a 16 bit game. Right. Mm. So it's all about finding optimal routes. It's all about conserving items because you basically get like upgrade power. You could fill up a bar and turn into like super Rick. Yeah. And so you collect it in little bits and pieces. And the other thing is that once you use it, it's gone. So like Mm -hmm. you can't turn it off. 
It's not right. like the suffering where you can become big and then get little again. Yeah. Uh, you use it and that's it. And if you don't use it all in that room, it's just empties out when you go to the next room. So there's a lot of strategy in like conserving when you use your power and like how you use it. And now here's the crazy thing, right? Is that each floor is a timed challenge to try and save either complete a task or save a member of your family, right? However, you don't lose if you fail. You're right. You can fail all of the time challenges and still beat the game because there are four endings that are based on who you save and don't save. Mm-hmm. And you don't really fight the last boss unless you save your family. Right. But that's what was so cool about this game to me was it's like there are these time challenges, but you can fail and you can still complete the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's so much like a survival horror game because it's all about trying to optimize your playthrough, making choices, and like right. making your way through the game. So you can like reload a save or reload a save state if you fail and just try and get the best ending, but you can also just do a whole playthrough fucking up, <laughs> get your ending, and then just be like, oh, I want to go back and do better. And then that way it's a lot like Clock Tower, where it's like, yeah, like my playthrough of Clock Tower, I sucked, dude. I killed everybody accidentally. Yeah, yeah. And like, I got the shitty ending. And I don't know, like, that's so cool and so uh, forward thinking to me. This game is Clock Tower with punching. You have to love it. <laughs> And there's a lot of punching. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So, like, this is the big double-edged sword for me. Because, you know, when I play the game, I want to get the good ending. But that really limits the way you play the game. It's basically... There's only one optimal route. So, if you're playing it optimally, you're not going to see... I would say two-thirds of the rooms in the mansion. And then some of them are actually kind of cool and unique. Like, you can totally miss, like, the garage on the first floor. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if, if you're playing for the good ending, you're not going to see a ton of the game. Well, there... I will say that... So, if you have, as you have noted here, some of the doors are warp points. So, yeah. you actually warp to a different point in the mansion and then back into the map. And some of those are actually, like, just as optimal as running to the exit. So Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. there's a warp room in, the, in, in stage one that's, like, clutch. So like, that's what I mean. If you don't use that like, warp room, you can't. You probably can't beat it in six minutes. Right. But, you, well, you can not using it also. Can you? Yeah. So the difference is that if you go the beeline way, you just have to fight more enemies. So there's kind of like a smart and at least as far as I know, there might be more, but there's like a smart and a dumb way to do every floor. And there's a way to make it work. You just have to be better at combat to do the dumb way. And I just thought that was really fascinating. Like I found myself just replaying floors just to try and figure out different routes. Like I thought that was really, really fun. And the other thing that's cool is it has a password system. And if you want, you can just fucking go on game FAQs and look up every state. So if you want to like, like you don't have to worry about saving or anything. You can just be like, okay, yeah. I want to. I need. Where was I? Okay, third floor, but like this person is alive and this person is dead, or whatever. Yeah. Or like third, like fourth floor, but everybody's dead, or whatever. So like, you can jump in and like just experiment with routes, which 
in a way almost makes it better than clock tower to me because you can't really do that with clock tower clock tower is much harder to like get under the hood and understand what's going on mm-hmm. in this game if you like that aspect of it it's really fun because you can just jump in and like just really tinker with like how to get through floors and and do all that stuff yeah i i did a game i did a run through where i did optimal route just to get the good ending and then i played a second run through just kind of exploring every room and seeing what kind of cool stuff there was yeah um there are some like copy paste hallways but if if you run the optimal route uh there's even some bad guys i didn't see like the the arms reaching out from the floor i didn't even see those on, on my optimal route so it's yeah it's definitely you know you're probably going to play this game several times if you own it because it's short and you're going to want to get your money's worth so exploring around is cool i just think i don't know i just wish there was a way to see more of it and still get the good ending i don't know it just gives me so much tension just like watching that clock countdown the whole time (laughs) yeah fucking weirds me out man yeah you just sort of have to let go of that and just play the game because like i said you can always just load the next level and like have you know with the outcome that you want and like you can just do that and like explore the floors as much as you want and that's like the fun of the game and i I it's almost like breaking the game makes it super super fun because you can just do different runs or explore it to your heart's content or whatever and to me i think that's the way to play this game and it becomes super super fun um i mean who needs a family yeah fuck them explore the house yeah fuck that annoying little shit let him die i don't care (laughs) well okay so the other thing i really like about this game is that i think the the feel the look and feel of it are a huge upgrade from splatterhouse 2 like so the game has a little bit more colorful cartoony look um the animation is a lot better it does look more like a beat-em-up like streets of rage or something but it doesn't lose the horror aesthetic at all you know rick is even more ripped oh yeah He's sort of a, he got a leaner, but way more ripped. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like it. Yeah, he's like, he's got like a blue, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a dirty gee or something. I can't really tell what his clothes are supposed to be. Uh, right. But he like even him just being blue adds a little bit more color. A lot of the backgrounds are a little bit more colorful and so are the enemies. Now there is less enemy variation yeah uh they do a lot of palette swaps on the bad guys which is kind of a bummer yeah and as you've noted like the bosses are not as cool they're more just like different takes on the boss the main enemies that you're fighting throughout the game yeah Um, but i think that that's because like the mechanical complexity of the exploration and and optimizing routes and stuff sort of take the place of these big like show stopping bosses Mm. i guess why not both yeah, I mean, yeah, ideally it'd have both, but I, I really love that that mechanical part of it, so I didn't mind that as much. One thing that drove me totally insane was that um, when you fall or get knocked over, it takes so long for him to get back up, and yeah. you're just like watching that clock like, Jesus, dude, stand up. Your wife's about to die. Come on, man. <laughs> well, yeah, and... That sucks, but at the same time, it's also just easier to keep going. Once again, if you don't worry about the clock and you just, you know, play it where it lies, like play it how it's going to be, uh, that is not as bad. Same with using continues, because the way, or sorry, the way that like lives work is that 
you just get resurrected where you fell and that takes forever yeah just like but the clock I, is just like burning the numbers into my brain but i preferred it to like or having to go to another screen even mm. you know yeah like i think it's better it creates a continuous play style and the reason that the clock didn't bother me because like dude once again like i'm with you a lot of times like in-game clocks and stuff like that drive me nuts like you're play chibi robo yeah <laughs> dude like that gave me such bad anxiety like my battery running down i was just like oh my god i am gonna pikmin pikmin (laughs) oh my god pikmin is like near unplayable to me because of that clock like just giving me anxiety but (laughs) the reason that i didn't mind it in this game is because it's not a game over it just makes it a different game and it encourages you to play it like so you get to the point where you're better at combat and exploration so if you want to you can beat the clock and if you don't want to beat the clock, you don't have to because it doesn't lead to a game over. Sure. That's why yeah. I found it so like refreshing and open-ended because like I didn't care. It's like I don't get a game over if the clock runs down. Maybe survival horror should kill off the characters more often. Yeah, totally. And I'm not talking about Kendo. I'm talking about like Ada Wong. Yeah. You know? Well, and here's a good modern comparison for you. The thing I kept thinking about, I was like, why do I like this so much? Like, why do I think this is so cool? Right? Um, little game called The Evil Within 2, uh, which <laughs> is I fucking love. I think it's one of the best games ever made. Uh, so that game has a pretty interesting mechanic for side quests, whereby as you're exploring, you'll find like NPCs and the NPCs will ask for your help. Now, you can choose just to not help them and like, well, whatever, fuck it, and they die. Or you can start a little mission that if you fail, they die. And if you succeed, you then open up like a whole new quest line and storyline. Mm-hmm. And it's super cool because some of them actually are pretty inconsequential. And it's like you just miss some extra items and like a few conversations. But like some of them are actually huge and completely change the whole game. And like, I actually think it's super cool because you can do multiple playthroughs or you can do multiple runs, even just on the same save and just see like what the differences are. And I think stuff like that is fantastic. If you just Mm -hmm. let go and are like, okay, the game is going to be what it is. I meant to just have the playthrough I'm going to have. I'm not going to worry about getting everything. Then like, it's actually really, really cool. And this game kind of functions in the same way don't be neurotic like me while playing this game don't be neurotic (laughs) you gotta be zen it's just a game yeah my favorite thing about this game is the cinder block (laughs) yeah you can pick up the cinder block and like launch it in monsters faces and just pick it up like over and over again just like launching a cinder block into their faces and it's so satisfying yeah well and if you've had to drag a cinder block around to put in front of the kick drum of a drum kit for a lot of your life it's very satisfying (laughs) yeah totally uh it's it's weird how if you drop an item like a ghost will pop out from the corner of the screen and try to steal it from you oh yeah and then you can actually get that item back if you go to like a specific room on each floor yeah like the ghosts are like hoarding all your shit in there yeah it's kind of cute well it's super cool it's the thing i like about the game is that it creates a continuous play style it's it's once again very forward thinking because like 
the standard at this time, and even after, once games were like 3D survival horror or whatever, the standard was like, you drop an item and it goes into the mysterious ether, right? Like, it's just gone. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this game, things like, you know, items and the story and all this stuff have persistence that is, like, mm. very cool and totally different. I wonder how this game would do, like, if each floor was randomized. I think that would be really awesome. Like, each time you boot it up the game, you get a different stage layout yeah no i would be super into that because once again i think the clock tower vibes are strong in this game and if it had that random element it would just be even more replayable but yeah so the other big thing about this game that i did want to bring up is that i think the game feels great to play like as much as splatterhouse 2 was not fun to play for me (laughs) this game was just like the basic combat the movement everything is very slick and like very fun well, I think adding combos, even though there's only, like, two combos and, like, a couple special moves, uh, I think that added a lot to the gameplay. Yeah. And then, and, you know, turning into Monster Rick was cool, uh, even though I didn't really use it very much. I use it a lot, because, like I said, there was a really fun, like, conservation element to it. Because it was like, if you were doing really well, you could just save it for the boss, and that makes the boss way more feasible yeah but there's also like some areas where you just get a lot of power drops so Mm -hmm. you could just like if you only have a little bit in your bar and you wanted some help with a room you could use that and then just hoard it for the rest of your run until you get to the boss big thing this game has an easy mode thank fuck because you know i played (laughs) it on easy mode like Mm -hmm. fuck i don't need that in my life like that, and that was another thing like good arcade ports at the time for home console let you play on easy because it's like yeah dude like I want to do that and then if I want to bump it up and play it on a harder difficulty I'll do that don't make me play it on like the hardest quarter muncher setting like fuck that dude <laughs> yeah for sure I think I played it on easy too or maybe I played it on easy like once and then normal the next time because I forgot to change it <laughs> yeah easy is great it's like you know we've reviewed a few games like that where it's like the easy mode is still not easy like it's more like a normal mode you know like Mm, yeah if i can play the easy mode it's great especially with beat-em-ups because the bad guys just end up being cheaper you know yeah and some of these some of these bad guys can like kill you in like two hits like the big fat dudes that munch your face yeah yeah yeah. they'll kill you in two hits i i just think that all of those really cool forward thinking ideas in this game and the way that it all comes together was just really cool and really satisfying like i've always enjoyed playing this game revisiting it again i've i really really enjoyed it i love the cutscenes, and like mm. the way it breaks up the flow is really cool too because it's like after each room you get a moment to look at your map and breathe and then you usually after every other room or so you get a little cutscene. Yeah, that's super cool. I just thought it was such an interesting way to to break up the flow of like a beat 'em up, but especially a splatterhouse game. Well, and especially comparing it to like the original, which was just so simple, like short stages, mm-hmm. go right, punch everything, pick up item. I don't know. I think it's a really cool left turn to a degree that you don't often see in a game series, and especially the it works so well. And I mean, it was really divisive on its release too. I remember it not charting very well yeah well i think that it it actually takes a lot to understand this game like now i'm not trying to sound like a fucking like rick and morty like you need to understand physics to get the jokes about you know poo poo but what i'm trying to say (laughs) is that you have to have played a lot of like 
survival horror games and games with random elements and games where you're trying to do optimized playthroughs to actually understand what's going on with this game. So like for us playing it, or even when I was playing it back in, you know, the late two thousands or whatever, like I had already played survival horror games. I had already played clock tower. Like I'd already played all this stuff. So going back to this game, I was like, Oh, I get it. I get what's going on under the hood so I can be more experimental and have fun with it. Just like, they were being experimental and having fun designing the game, right? Mm. But I think without that perspective, this game would just not really make sense. And I totally remember playing games like this back when I was a kid on the Genesis and just being like, what is this? What the fuck is this? I don't get what's going on, you know? There's so many generic beat-em-ups. It's, it's cool when they innovate, you know, like this and like the D&D beat-em-ups. yeah. It's just, it's a genre that can get so pat and repetitive that it's really nice to see a little bit of variation. And it's a genre that's dead, too. Yeah, for the most part. We don't get games like this, you know, besides like River City Girls and the occasional throwback. Yeah, the indie sphere seems to put out a notable one of these every few years. There was a Scott Pilgrim one that was really popular. Yeah. That was like pretty fun. Yeah, River City Girls, which... I haven't tried, but you played. You said that's good. super good. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. The music's cute and everything's cute. Yeah. I love it. I really like the music and sound in Splatterhouse 3 as well. Like, it's got that lush Genesis sound. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got, you know, so the thing about these games, like, okay, the original Splatterhouse had cool sound. Like, cool music, a lot of monster moans, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. Splatterhouse 2, I feel like, is just fucking annoying. Like, the enemy screams <laughs> are so obnoxious and loud, and you almost, like, They're can't... They're Genesis as fuck. Yeah, you almost can't hear the music, and it's, like, kind of weirdly underwhelming to me when you can hear it. Mm. But Splatterhouse 3... You still got all the monster moans and punchy noises, but they're they're nice. They're like more subtle, and the music is just ripping. Like the menu or the map menu music, like after you clear a room, is like great and creepy. Um, there's a lot of good actiony themes. It's sort of like dissonant action music. Uh, the intro song rips off an Iron Maiden ri- uh, riff. Oh really? I'm trying to remember which one. I didn't notice yeah. that. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, I think the sound in this game is really, really cool. Especially if you like the kind of lush, more mellow side of the Sega Genesis uh, sound chip. And as opposed yeah. to the sort of like bleeding, harsh side. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this game is worth checking out. It's it's Or the sound is, because it's really cool in that regard. I think people should go back and play all three of these. Um, especially probably one and three. Yeah. They're not the most amazing games, but they're cool. They just got heavy aesthetics, you know, especially for an early arcade game. Um, I think they're historically notable. That's why I wanted to cover them. Oh, yeah. Well, I agree with that 100%. They're very historically notable. I think for modern players, playing Splatterhouse 3 is crucial. Like, I think that's the one that's most polished and that will be most accessible to modern players. And it's also the one that has the most like forward thinking ideas and like is the most influential upon later survival horror. So I think it's worth looking at for that reason. Well, Um, that's a cool take and cool opinion on it because no one says that. You know what I mean? Uh, Like reviews for this game are very middling. And for such an uh, experimental game, 
you know, it should be more polarizing, I think. And yeah. you being more polarized to the positive, I think that's an interesting take on this one. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I was researching it. I just thought everybody, like, everybody likes Splatterhouse 3, right? Like, guys? <laughs> anybody? Like, yeah, I was actually kind of shocked. I, I think it's a masterpiece, and I think it's it's one of those games you can go back and play and just, like, your jaws on the floor. You know, it's, like, similar to playing a treasure game, like a 16-bit treasure game where you're like, wow, this is so forward-thinking. But mm. those games generally, you know, do get the acclaim that they deserve. Um, right. But this one not getting that is crazy, you know. But yeah, yeah I think Splatterhouse 3 is a must play. I think the first one is really fun to revisit if you're curious. And you, well, I, I made my thoughts on the second one clear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm saying two and a half stars across the board. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, that's the most nonsense rating you've given so far. That was uh, like, I don't know. yeah, maybe I, like two and a half for one, two for two, and then two and a half for three. Out of five? Yeah, I thought you really liked these games, dude. What the fuck? I do. <laughs> two and a half is not good. I, I'm trying to be more objective here. I'm not trying to be colored by my, my nostalgia. Who is asking you to be objective? Do we have an editor I don't know about? <laughs> Ron, our editor Ron that I just don't know about. He doesn't talk to me. Well, you know what it is? After I finished playing these games on my analog Mega SG, <laughs> I went and played a bunch of other Sega Genesis games and realized that I like other Sega Genesis games better. <laughs> so that may have colored my two and a half star rating across the board for these three. That's why I'm so sweet on the third one. Because I think yeah. the third one has that feel. Like when you mm. pick up a good retro game and it just feels good to play. Yeah. this That one has that feel. The first one sort of does it's like a good old arcade game but it does feel a little primitive and the second one doesn't have that mm, so yeah. I, I think that's kind of what it is you know well i mean the the first couple years of the sega genesis's library is filled with just like middle of the road arcade ports yeah so well and even some of that shit is just weirdly clunky like if you go back and play the first sonic the hedgehog like the fact that you don't have the spin dash is like, oh yeah, kind of like game killing. It's like playing the first couple of Mega Man's where you can't charge your M Buster. Yeah, it's like yeah. what you lived like this? How? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, I you know I've I grew up a Sega kid. I had the Master System and Genesis. I, I never loved Sonic the Hedgehog. Hmm. Um, I was always more into the deep cuts. So, uh, I definitely loved Sonic, but it was like we got Sonic 2 first because, like, mm. there was that bundle where you bought the system, you got Sonic 2, and then yeah. you sent in like a mail in rebate to get Sonic 1. Yeah, I think was I how remember. it worked. Yeah, or the other way around where it came with one, you sent in a rebate for two. I can't remember. Either way, I had that, and so like Sonic 2 was the first one that I played. And that game is like a masterpiece. And then Sonic 3 came out very soon after. And it was like another fucking masterpiece. Like even better. <laughs> and then they put out Sonic and Knuckles, which I, I think 2 and 3 are better. But it had so many weird like tech gimmicks at the time that it was very like 
uh, impressive, you know? Yeah. So I had a little run there of being super obsessed with those games, but like Sonic 1 isn't good. Well, okay, whoa, that was a real hot take. Sonic <laughs> 1 is not as good, let me say that. Right. And yeah. then, like, I don't know, like, Sonic CD is interesting. It's a cool game, very forward-thinking again, but it's also, like, weird to play and maybe not as fun as, like, 2 and 3. I played the shit out of Sonic CD. Yeah. Christmas 94, babies. <laughs> it's a cool game, but it's, like, weird. You know what I mean? It's no popful mail. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, after that, the series was so up and down that I couldn't really feel, like, devoted to it, you know? Yeah. Stay tuned for Uncle James's top ten action RPGs on the Sega CD. <laughs> wow. All right. Speaking of niche content. There's probably actually only three. <laughs> I was going to say, are there, are there ten? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Splatterhouse. Yeah. It's a good time. I had a good time. You know, yeah, yeah, it was good. You safe states. Don't hurt yourself, unless you want to like be really good. Oh, side note, um, one of the longtime world record holders of Splatterhouse One is a woman, and apparently that's very, very rare in video game arcade world record holders. Huh? Yeah, I watched her world record run on fucking YouTube. Yeah, check that out, gamers. That's fucking cool. Very impressive. Yeah. Well, I guess I sort of get that because I feel like the public perception of video game world record holders is that creepy dude from King of Kong who turns out Billy Mitchell, (laughs) who's like lied about all of his shit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. His hot sauce sucks too. I'm sure it does. I just assumed (laughs) white people hot sauce. Get that out of my face. Hey, my hot sauce is pretty good. Whatever, cracker. I thought you were going to say, I'm one of the good ones. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Damn it. Not today. That's like my life goal. Oh, you know I love you, you asshole. Uh, I want that to be on my gravestone. (laughs) He was one of the good ones. (laughs) Here lies James. He was one of the good white people. (laughs) Please no (laughs) pee-pee. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. So anyway, Game Club. <laughs> game Club. Uh, uh, next week, next? speaking of more 16-bit bangers, uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yes. Or as known in the UK and European regions, Zombies. Because apparently eating your neighbors is too scary. Yeah. I get that. And its sequel, Ghoul Patrol. Hell yeah. Uh... No one talks about Ghoul Patrol, and it's for a very good reason. Yeah, I've never played it, actually, so... Well, okay. I won't tell you too much about it, then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Find out next week. Yeah, find out. Uh, Yeah, and then the rest of the schedule is Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yes, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, I think that's been, like, sitting in my Steam library for four years. Hell Who yes. knows how I got the the key. Yeah. And then uh, You May Nikki, which is free on Steam. So, yeah. That's, um, that's super exciting to me, because I love that game. Jump in the Discord. Let us know how dumb we were in this episode. Yes. Uh... 
give us some money on Patreon. Check out the Zero Brightness Plus episodes. Yes. And and we'll smell you later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>